You are listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. Nice, you guys can have a seat. We will be today, as we have been for the last couple months, in the book of Exodus. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there. We will be in chapter 24 as we've been kind of working our way slowly. We're going to pick up the pace a little bit as we get to the second half of the book. Back in the late 90s, this is not an 80s story, this is 90s, so some of you can relate. The, the world, or at least America, was captivated. Okay, this is the day before, by the way, younger folks, Netflix, uh, YouTube, there's no internet TV. We had these things called rabbit ears and, and you know, remote controls, and we watched network television. And for two weeks straight, America was captivated by a new game show called Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Because who doesn't want to be a millionaire, right? And so every night for two weeks, there's Regis, there's someone that goes into the hot seat. You could call in, which I tried many times to get on the show, never made it. Um, and you'd see them use their 50-50 and their phone a friend and, you know, all, you know, pulling the audience, working their way to the million dollars. And there was all the drama and the lights and, you know, and, and you know, are they going to risk it all? Are they going to go for the million? What are they, what's going to happen? Right? And then there was this, this famous phrase that, was, that Regis would give every time. What would he say? Is that your final answer? Right? Is, is that your fi- are you going all in on this? Right? And that's when the lights, you know, until the guy that finally won, the IRS agent, I remember IRS agent won and he didn't, took the drama out of it. Didn't use any of his lifelines. Gets to the million dollar question. He says, I want to call my dad. He calls his dad and says, hey, I don't need your help. I'm going to win a million dollars. And he says, hey, and he does his final answer, Richard Nixon. Boom, wins a million dollars. No drama. That's just like an IRS agent, right? No drama. But, but the, is that your final answer? Are you going all in? That's where we're at in the book of Exodus today. What God has been doing, and we said back in the beginning, this book is that the, one of the themes is that you will know that I am Yahweh, that you will know that I am God. And for 23 chapters, he has been showing who he is. He's the redeemer, the rescuer, the protector. He is the one true God. He guides them. He provides for them. He's all these things. And he, just like he promised back in Genesis 15 to Abraham, I want to make a covenant with you and your people forever. And so we've come to the point in the book. He's revealed who he is. He's revealed what he expects. He says, now, are you in or not? Final answer. Final answer. Right? I want covenant with you. I want relationship with you. And, and we don't use that language of covenant a ton, you know, covenant is not something that keeps you from planting you know, crepe myrtles in your front yard in your neighborhood, right? That, that's what we think about covenant. A covenant at its simplest form is, is a contract, an agreement between two parties where now there is a relationship established, right? There's a relationship. And as you enter into that contract, as you enter into that covenant, there is expectations of both parties. And so God says, I will be your God, I will bless you. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. I'll provide. I will do all these things. That's my part. You will be my people. And there's a commitment on their half too. And he's told them all about that. Chapter 20, big 10, right? Then we saw 21 to 23 last week. Just a bunch of laws that kind of the application of that. And, and he's laid it out. He's been very clear. This is not like on the internet when you say, you click if you agree and there's all this thing you scroll and none of you ever have read those things. And just click, yeah, I agree, I need to get to the next page. It's not that. They are clear. Here's what I will do. Here's what I'm calling you to. 
as you enter into covenant with me? Is that your final answer? And we saw last week, Clint spoiled it for me. Thanks, Clint. They said, yes, that we're in. But when you say you're in, there are expectations. You are committing yourself to something. And there's three things that the text is gonna highlight today. And here's where it matters for us. Because yes, we are under the new covenant, but the same big picture core ideas that the, that the Israelites are committing themselves to under the old covenant, they're the same, even though the particulars are different, they're the same big picture commitments that we make. If we say, if you are here today and you say, I have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, I am in, I am a follower of God, then that means you have committed yourself to these same three things. Not perfectly. And that's the point. And what I want to say up front is this. We need to get this. This is not, uh, Bill's going to remind you how bad you've done this week. I don't need to remind you. I, I know myself how bad I've done. What we're doing here, in essence, what we're doing every Sunday, this is a covenant renewal service. Because you're coming in all broken and beat up and limping from the week like, man, this is a tough week. Spiritually, not, if you're getting beaten up, come talk to us in a different way. But you're just broken and you're, you just, it's been that kind of week. And what this is, is an opportunity to say, I'm still in, final answer. And even though I may have failed in these three things, I'm still in. And it's an opportunity for us together to renew that covenant and these expectations. So let me just jump in. We got a, not a ton of text, but uh, I, wanna, I wanna take some time on some of these ideas because I think they're important for us. All right, so chapter 24, verse one. Then he, that is God, said to Moses, come up to the Lord, you, Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel and worship from afar. And Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near and the people shall not come up with him. So we've seen a lot of Moses up and down the mountain, right? And here, here again, Moses up and down the mountain. Um, and what has just happened, remember, is God has given him all the rules, all the laws. Don't boil a, a young goat in his mother's milk, all those, all those things. And so God is calling Moses back up. He's giving him a call to worship, in essence, him and the 70 elders that have been appointed, and then the high priest and his sons. So we're going to have a worship service. Now, only Moses can come close, right? The other guys have to still stay at a distance. But I want you to come up and worship. But before all that worship service happens, Moses, it says, verse 3, came and told the people all the words of the Lord. All chapter 20, all chapter 21, all chapter 22, all chapter 23 again, right? These are all the rules, y'all. And all the people answered with one voice and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. What are they saying? We're in, where do we sign? Oh, it sounds like a, like a good plan to me. Where's the contract? Where do we sign, right? Final answer. And here's what I want you to just remember. I was thinking about this week. Does God know does God know that they're not going to be able to keep their end of the bargain? Yeah. Does God know that in 40 days, just 40 days, Moses can be up on the mountain for 40 days. All right, and just 40 days, all the people are doing is having a camp out, a 40 day camp out. God provides food for them every day. They're just chilling out, right? They're on sabbatical at the mountain, provided for, just relaxing after 200, 400 years of slavery. At 40 days, they're gonna say, man, Moses, they're gonna go to Aaron and say, Moses is gone, man, he's gone. You make us new gods, we'll follow the new gods. In less, that's less than two months, they're going to brazenly, at the foot of the mountain, blow off commandment number one and number two. Does God know that? He does. And he still 
once covenant with his people. He still is faithful. I think that's important for all of us to hear. Did God know before he spoke breath and life into Adam and Eve that he was going to, and that they were gonna break the one rule that he gave them? Did he know that he was gonna have to one day come to earth, become a man, crawl around in the dust and the muck of his creation and die in the place for his people so that there could be a reconciliation? Did he know that before he created? Yes. Does he know that Peter and James and John and Bartholomew and and all those guys, the ones who says he loved to the end, does he know when he's sitting there the last night that they're going to walk away and deny they even knew him? He does, and yet he still loves them. And what you need to know before, if you get nothing else, that's the kind of God we serve. He knows. And he's, not, he's not calling you to be perfect. He knows you are not. That's the whole point of the law, right? That is our God. That is what he does, right? He knows. Verse four, see what happens. And Moses wrote down, this is important. He wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning. He built an altar at the foot of the mountain, 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes. We're gonna come back to some of this stuff. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins. Half the blood, he threw it against the altar, right? So he writes it down. He, he builds an altar, 12 pillars around, picturing the 12 tribes. There's offerings, there's blood. We're gonna come back again. Verse seven. Then he took the book of the covenant. Look at the language. It's called the book of the covenant. What is the book of the covenant? Chapter 20, chapter 21, and 2, and 23. What he wrote down. It's the book of the covenant, right? The rules, the laws, the big 10, which he just read. And notice it says this. He read it in the hearing of the people. Didn't he just do that? Didn't he just tell them all the rules? Notice the progression. He tells them all the rules. He writes it down. He tells them again. Why does he tell them again? Because they need to hear it. Again, because before they give their final answer, he's saying, are you sure you get it? Are you, is it your final answer? Do you know? And this is important because it's for us just to be reminded that even from an early stage for the people of God, there was a written testimony of what God has said, right? There is a, there is a fixed, objective, transcendent truth that will outlive them and us because the grass withers and the flower falls off but the word of the Lord endures forever. And so Moses reads it, reads it again and says, are you in? Final answer. And what do they say? All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. They double up, double final answer. We will do it. We will be obedient. Yes, final answer. We are in. And this is the first thing this morning, you need to be reminded of, you need to be renewed in. If you say, I'm in on Jesus, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, he is my God, he is my savior, then what you have committed yourself to is that you are going to follow him. That you are going to obey him. That's what it's saying, right? When he speaks, you listen. When, when he instructs, it's not that we just agree and nod our head, we respond because what you are saying is this that God has authority over me that God has authority over me when this book is opened this is important y'all 
This is the book of the covenant. You know, the word testament is just another word for covenant. Your old covenant, new covenant. Old Testament, new testament. When the book of the covenant is open and God, whoever's up on stage, me, Clint, whoever else, when this book is open and God says, this is what I say, this is what I want, the follower of Jesus says, okay, and we respond. And I think I need to say that because here's what I'm seeing more and more. These are not helpful suggestions. Well, you might want to think about this. This is how Bill works. And this is, that's not what we're doing here. This is not some theological smorgasbord, some theological golden corral. I'm going to skip the vegetables and go right for the chocolate fountain. Right? I don't get to pick and choose. And this is what I see. Let me, let me encourage, challenge some of the younger generation. It's not that the older generation is not guilty. What the older generation does is they nod their head and say, yeah, that's right. And then they go out and do nothing. All right, that's what the older generations do. What the younger generation, what I'm seeing more and more is that you're saying, well, that's just Bill's opinion. I, I'll take this from Bill. I'll take a little bit of the chocolate ice cream, but I don't want, I don't want any of the meat and potatoes. I, I, I want to pick and choose what I like and then I'll listen to that. But, but no, not this. Because after all, this is the 21st century. We have YouTube. We have yeah, Snapchat. We're so much smarter than God. See, that's not what we're doing. See, this is either God's word and it's transcendent or it is not. And the follower of Jesus responds to his word. He is not asking permission to invade your space. He's God. He's Lord. At his name, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that he is Lord. And so he's not asking what's popular with the culture, what's the most important, what is group think going on, what is, let's vote on it. He says, this is what I say. And so when God says, in the beginning, he made them male and female, that is it. It doesn't matter what you think you feel or what this person says. Now, this is what he says. This is the way it is. Right? When he says that, that all people are made in the image of God and thus have dignity, it doesn't matter age, it doesn't matter where they're from, it doesn't matter ability, all people are to be loved and cherished and treated with respect. This whole, and I know our, our culture has gone crazy over the issue of race and all these things. You know, the idea of race is not actually a biblical idea. The Bible never uses the word race, it uses nations and ethnicity. There's one race, Imago Dei, made in the image of God. And all people are of the same race, those made in the image of God. Thus, they are worthy of respect and love and there's nobody better than anybody else. That's what the scripture says. That is truth, right? That is truth. When God says flee immorality, this is not a good, just some good idea. It's just not. When he says the marriage bed is to be held in honor, it's not just a, 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 just a suggestion for you. Maybe you should do this. And look, if the marriage bed is held in honor, then date, singles, dating is held in honor too. Because it's pointing to marriage. It's getting there. A lot of, we have a lot of young folks, they want us to marry them and all this thing, but, but they don't want to follow what the scripture says. We want you to marry us. We take marriage seriously because marriage is a picture of the gospel. So we're not just going to marry you because you just, you know, oh, we just want to get married. No, no. Are you, are you going to walk in a way that mirrors the gospel? Or are you going to at least pursue that right and if if marriage is is important then how you date singles is important so the dating bed there should be no dating bed that's the point right there should be no dating bed it's the marriage bed 
right? Because God has said it. Cheating is wrong. It's not, well, everyone does it. No, it's wrong. I need to do it to get a, get a scholarship. Get a job. Get a B and get a job. And be honest. Lying to your parents, hiding your cell phone in someone else's car so that your parents can't track you. It's sin. It is. It's treating your spouse in an unkind, disrespectful way. Sin. Drunkenness, sin, all these things. And I'm not, I'm not just pick, I'm not picking on you know, anybody specific. I'm just saying, when God speaks, it is true. He said, well, it's my life. I can do what I want. Not if you are a follower of Jesus, it's not. It is not your life. You have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. And what we have seen, and we just wanna fight against this, is the cheapening of what it means to be Christian. Being Christian does not mean I go to church, I vote a certain way, and I sing God Bless America. It means I follow Jesus. This is the way it's always been from the beginning. And if you need some proof, what does Peter say? He, we're gonna see this in the fall as we unpack this book together. But he says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the chosen, the elect, that's us, in all these places then, but now you could go to Savannah, Georgia, and beyond. We are chosen how? According to the foreknowledge of God. We'll unpack that in the fall. Sanctifying work of the Spirit. Why? See that word for? Why? To obey Jesus Christ. Obedience has always been part of the covenant. Not to get into the covenant, but as response to the covenant. Ephesians 2, another one. By grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. It is not a result of work so that no one may boast. Why? We are his workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus. What? For good works, which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You say, well, that's just the, the New Testament writers. That's Paul and Peter. Okay, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Right? Isn't that the greatest commandment? To love God with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. Isn't that what it's about? So if you do that, you will keep my commandments. What are his commandments? The book of the covenant. It's not rocket science. It's not easy, but it's not rocket science, Right? If you are a follower of Jesus, then that means you will follow Jesus. I'm not talking perfection because we already highlighted God knows ain't gonna happen. Not gonna happen. But there is a desire there. That's the point. There's a heart to pursue and to obey. This is what uh, Paul says to Titus. He says, grace has appeared bringing salvation for all people. It trains us, grace trains us to renounce ungodliness, worldly passions, to live self-controlled, to live upright and godly lives in this present age, waiting for the blessed hope, Jesus. And notice the end of the, ver the verses. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all unlawlessness, to purify for himself a people who are what? Zealous for good works. Zealous for good works. That phrase stuck out to me this week. You know why? Because I have not, been that this week. Transparent. Not zealous for good works. Zealous for me, for my desires, for my whatever. But that is the beauty of the good news of the gospel. That is the beauty of why we gather because we can come in this room with a covenant removal mindset. Like, I haven't been, but this is what I want, God. And if you, if you came in and you're like me and you're honest, because some of you are like, no, I did a quiet time every day this week. Great, Mr. Spiritual. Go to another place. This is for sinners here. <laughs> if you come in here and you're like me, the beauty of us gathering together is, yes, and God knew that already, but he wants you to renew that final answer. I'm in. 
Yes, this is something I've been dabbling with. I don't need to. Yes, I've been going in this way. Yes, I've been ignoring you over here. And if you will cry out to him, God, change my heart in this. Help me in this. Help me to pursue you more. Help me to be obedient. Over. Give, me, give me strength over this sin, over this. You know what he's gonna say? It's my pleasure to do so. It's my speciality. That's what I do. That's what it means to be in covenant with the one true God. That you are committing yourself to follow him. So is that your final answer? Something else. Look at verse eight. And Moses took, this is real strange, y'all. This is very foreign to us. Moses took the blood and he threw it on the people. That's nice. And said, behold, the blood of the covenant. Look at the language. We had the book of the covenant. Now we have what? The blood of the covenant, right? So we have the book. We got the blood. I'm a good, I could be a good Baptist and go with bees today. I'm not. I'm going with seeds today. But the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all of these words. So again, you go back to verse four. There was an altar. And then there was 12 pillars. Each tribe had a pillar. And he takes these oxen, these peace offerings, and he, and he kills them. And he puts half the blood in a basin, a bowl. And he puts, splashes half of it on the altar. And then he takes half of it and he just starts going over the people. It's like a Gallagher. Remember Gallagher with the big sledgehammer? It's like, you know, the water. But some of you, that dates me. I know that's real bad. But it's just splashing everywhere. So that is very strange. What is that about? Well, several things. But number one is this. They are bound in covenant by a book and they are bound in covenant by the blood. And the blood speaks to the seriousness, to the solemnness. Something had to die for this covenant to take place. And that solves really the biggest problem. The biggest question of the text is this. How can a holy, holy, holy God have relationship and covenant with an unholy, unholy, unholy group of people? There's only one reason. Because of the blood. Actually, there's, there's an altar and there's a sacrifice and there's blood. And each one points to all the same thing. The altar, this altar's in the middle and the 12 pillars are around it. This picture's Substitution. This altar in place of these 12 pillars. And on that altar is a sacrifice, probably one of these oxen, a peace offering. And that pictures propitiation. Fancy word, which means wrath is satisfied. That God's wrath was poured out on that ox instead of these 12 tribes. Something died so that God could be propitious, that he could be pro-us. Uh, he was against us, now he is for us because he poured out his wrath. It was satisfied on that sacrifice. And then there is blood. There's blood on the altar picturing the God's side. There's blood on the people picturing them. And it's a picture of consecration. Now obviously not everybody that, of the two plus million people got blood on them, but that it was symbolic and so he's throwing it out. And can you imagine if you're in the front and you got stains on you? But it pictured that you have been set apart. You've been consecrated. And, and there's no Tide Pods in that day, by the way. That blood's there. It's stained. And every time you put on that robe and you look down, you're reminded, I've been set apart. I've been consecrated. And here's the second idea, really. All of this points to this, is that if you are following God, if you are in covenant with God, that means you are committed, you are being cleansed by God. You have been cleansed by God. That your sins have been forgiven. 
There is no covenant with God if there is no forgiveness of sins, period, end of story. Because holy God cannot have a relationship with unholy people unless the sin has been removed. It was true of the old covenant, it's true of the new covenant. Under the old, there was an altar, a sacrifice and blood. Under the new, there's a sacrifice, an altar, and there is blood, right? And the reason why God does it like this in the old covenant, it's all supposed to point to who? The Lord Jesus. The whole Old Testament, all these sacrifices. I mean, every day, they're doing sacrifices all the time. We're gonna see next couple of weeks the tabernacle's built and there's, this, there's things getting sacrificed constantly, constantly, constantly. There's feasts with sacrifices constantly, constantly. Why? Why all the blood? Why all this bloody mess? It all points to one sacrifice, right? This is the point of the old covenant. It's like arrows, just arrows everywhere pointing to one person, the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus, the, the, Covenant with God has never been possible because you could keep the rules. Covenant with God has never been about be nice, keep the big 10, you're good. About doing more good than doing bad. It's never been about that because you couldn't do it. This is why Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, people who kept the law better than anybody. He says, y'all search the scriptures. You think in them is eternal life. And these testify of me. I'm the point. This is why, by the way, the altar, there's no more altar anymore. Altar's altar's been dry for 2,000 years, y'all, because Jesus died once for all sin, the just for the just. They had to keep sacrifice, 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 every day, every day. Turtle dove, oxen, sheep. Turtle dove, oxen, sheep. Done. It is finished, complete. Why? So that you could be purified of your sins. It's not about trying hard, being good, being nice. It's about Christ. This is what Peter said. Again, go back to it. You did all these things for obedience and to be what? Sprinkled with his blood. Where's he getting all that imagery? Here. The writer of Hebrews talking about Jesus as the better mediator. He says to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks better than the word of Abel, the very first prophet. The point is this. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sins. He is the only way to covenant with God. There is one way. It's not about finding your truth. It's not about finding your way. It's not about discovering this. There is one way. You gotta come on his terms, on God's terms. And he said there was an altar, there was a sacrifice, and there was blood. The altar was the cross. The sacrifice was the lamb of God. The blood was poured out for the forgiveness of your sin. First John 7, 1, 7. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. And if you are saying, I have a relationship with God, that means you are committed to being cleansed by God and God alone, not by your good deeds, not by your church. Don't give a bunch of money. Don't pray a bunch of prayers. No, it's by faith in Christ alone or it's not alone. And this is why it is so offensive to God. It's why the book of Galatians was written where people say, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but I'm also gonna do a bunch of good things and make him happy with me. It's offensive to God. You think, well, it's offensive to be nice? No, it's not offensive to be nice. It's offensive to think that you could be nice enough to earn God's favor. Because what you're saying is, what Jesus did was not good enough. I gotta add to it. May it never be. It is grace alone, or it is not happening, y'all. And here's, here's the point for us. Here's the question you gotta ask. Do you know, do you know that your sins have been forgiven are you sure are you confident right that's the question you got to ask because that's the only way to covenant with God 
And there's only one way, the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father. And my encouragement, we're gonna have a thousand people-ish in, this, in these rooms this morning. And I know someone here is wrestling with that. And I know someone here is not sure. Right? And you need to be sure. That's the only thing you need to be sure of. That you have relationship with God. Why? Because Christ died in your place for your sins, rose again, and what he did was enough. It's not believe in him and go to church. Believe in him and get baptized. No, I put my faith in him, period, end of story. And what do I do then? I commit to follow him because he has given me life. You're committing yourself to follow him, to be, you're committing to be cleansed by him, right? And there's one more. Verse nine. Moses and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu. This is a, this is a challenging passage here. This is t- tough. And the 70, they went up and they saw the God of Israel. Now, what does that mean? Can I tell you, I have no clue. And it's okay sometimes, by the way, to not understand. Commentaries are all over the place with this. We know what it's not. They didn't just stare at God and be like, wow. They didn't stare at God's face because Exodus 33 says you cannot see God's face and live. So we know it's not that. Couple different options here. And again, I'm not 100% sure of what they saw. I know they did see something. One is, it, it only describes God's feet. It says they're under his feet as it were a pavement like sapphire stone. Why does it only de- describe God's feet? Because it's very possible that their eyes never got off his feet because they're on their face flat before God. And so when they get down the mountain, they're like, you saw God, I did. What did you see? Well, I don't know. I just only looked up a little bit and he was wearing Jordans, I tell you that. <laughs> greatest player of all time it's as far as up as they got now that's possible here's the other option and I think it's, it's this is where I kind of land I'm 51% sure you read Ezekiel 1 you read Revelation 4 you see all these passages that have visions of heaven and what you see is there's a similar description of a crystal glass floor and a throne room and I think it may be possible that what they saw somehow is they saw access into the throne room of God and they saw this crystal floor and all they could see was the bottom of his feet as they look up. Regardless, whatever it is, they're in the presence of God. And here's what's interesting. It says he didn't lay hands on them, right? Because you can't walk in the presence of God. Why doesn't he kill them? Why doesn't he destroy them for being unholy in his presence? Why? Because there's been an altar, there's been a sacrifice and there's been blood. And so he... He welcomes them in. Before, don't get on the mountain. Don't, don't, even, don't even come close. Now he welcomes them in. And notice the last phrase. They ate and drank. Now that's interesting. I got questions. And Moses don't give me no answers. I want to know, what was that meal like? Have you ever been in a meal where no one talks and everyone eats real fast because you're trying to get out? I bet it was that. But I don't know. Did they have bread? Did they have oxen? Was it medium rare? Was there A1 sauce? I don't know. All I know is they ate and drank. Why is that significant? Because in that culture, especially even today, eating and drinking together was a sign of fellowship, of closeness, right? If you come to me and say, hey, let's go get lunch one day. What are we gonna do? We're gonna have fellowship. We're gonna talk. We're gonna hang out. This is common today, right? You go out with your buddy. You go to dinner with a couple. It's fellowship. It's a symbol. Even more so then. And often what would happen when a covenant was made is you would have the two parties get together and have a feast, We still do this at a wedding, right? What happens at a wedding? You have the ceremony, you have bad dancing, you have food. That's what you have. It's a sign of the covenant. It's a sign of closeness, of table fellowship, right? And that's what's going on here. 
Uh, there is a covenant meal. It's, the language doesn't say covenant meal, but this is what this is. You have a book of the covenant, the blood of the covenant, and you have a covenant meal picturing table fellowship, nearness, relationship with God. And here's the last thing that you're committing to that they're committing to. This is a biggie for us. Committing to follow, to be cleansed, and you're committing to communion with God. And I'm not talking about the Lord's table, although that is an application. But isn't it interesting, the night before Jesus was betrayed, what does he celebrate with his disciples? A covenant meal. Breaks bread. This is my body. Here's the cup of the blood of the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me, right? See, that, that's the idea. And, and I would say this, I could, go, I could do seeds forever. I got, you know, I got committed, I got cleansed, I got communion. The covenant should be celebrated. I got C there, even though it sounds like an S. It should be consummated. I got all the C's in the world, but I wanna focus on communion because I think this is what God wants from us. He wants nearness. Why? I have no idea. I mean, y'all are fine and all, but you ain't that great. Why does God want me? That is the mystery of the gospel but he does. He wants us to know him. He wants us to be near to him. He wants us to hear from him. Why does he come down on the mountain? He doesn't have to do that. Why does he draw them near? He doesn't have to do that. Why does he do anything with us? I don't know, but that's what God wants. He wants communion with his children, right? He doesn't, it's not just about, he just wants a bunch of kids to keep the rules. It's not that. In fact, if you read the New Testament, read the book of Revelation, there's seven churches there. One of them specifically, Jesus speaks to them and says, you know, you guys are pretty good with sin. You, you identify false teachers pretty well. You serve really well. You know, you teach really well. Here's what I have against you. And if you don't fix this, I'm taking away your church. You lost your first love. It's the church of Ephesus. The church that, that Paul was at all the time. The church that Timothy was the pastor of. And within 50 years, they had lost their first love. He said, yeah, you keep all the rules and you're good with serving. He said, you've lost your love. I'm about to take you out. You don't love me no more. Because that's what it's been about. Because I want nearness. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in with him. I will dine with him. He wants to be your shepherd so that you don't want. He wants to lead you beside still pastors. He wants to prepare a table in the presence of your enemies. He wants goodness to follow you throughout your life. He wants nearness to us, right? That's the beauty of what God has done. He doesn't just want you anymore at the bottom of the mountain. Some of you came in the room this morning and you were like, I gotta sit in the back because you're back row Baptist. Yeah, I see you. No, you, you came in spiritually, metaphorically, feeling like I need to stay back. I can't sing. I can't get near this mountain. And when God would say, why? You see that altar? You see that sacrifice? You see that blood? You can come up on this mountain. Get up here. Get up here. Right? This is why the very next thing we're gonna see the next two weeks is God is gonna create this, this building, this tabernacle. And in this tabernacle in the old covenant, you could only get so close. I mean, Aaron got to go in the Holy Holies once a year, right? Him and then Indiana Jones, they got to go into the Ark of the Covenant. But everyone else had to stay at a distance. In fact, unless you were a priest or a Levite, you couldn't even go into the holy place where the lampstand and the bread and all these things. You could stay in the outer court, right? 
But, but what has God done under the new covenant with the mediator of a better covenant? He says, there's no more temple. You are my temple. I, this is how close I wanna be with you. This is how near I wanna be with you. I will be in you forever. Now, wherever you go, I am. It's not about, it's not about getting into the holy holies. You are the holy of holies because my presence is in you. That's God's desire for his people. And so if you feel like, man, I'm so distant from God. I'm so far, I gotta stand. Who's moved? Because it ain't been him. But the beauty of this, of the gospel, is that God says, I promise you, you draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. I promise you, if you seek, you will find. If you knock, it will be opened unto you. And here's my encouragement to you. This is why I love for the high schoolers when they go away to camp. Because one of the things that Talavo and his team does is they have set apart a time every morning, 30 minutes, where these high schoolers get to go and read their Bibles alone and just listen to God. Let me tell you, God does a mighty work at these camps because they turn off their phones and they get away from everything and they're undistracted and God speaks to these 15 and 16 year olders through, their, through the word of God and through the teaching and they come back on fire because they got alone. What if we started doing that? What, could I encourage you this week to just every day at some point, it doesn't have to be in the morning, maybe you're not a morning person. Oh, that's fine. Right? That's why you come 15 minutes late to every service, whatever time it is. I get it. But just set 30 minutes a day, you and God. Maybe it's on a walk. Maybe it's, you know, on your couch early in the morning with a cup. I don't care. Call it what you want. Quiet time, devotion, whatever you want to call it. Just you get alone with God. Open your Bible. Open your heart. Speak to him. Let him speak to you through his word. Write it down. What is impressed upon your heart. What you're learning. What you feel like God is speaking. Write it down. And make that a regular rhythm of communing with God. That's what he wants. Because his sheep hear his voice. They listen to him. That's what God wants from us, right? And I promise you, if you do that, I promise you on the authority of scripture that if you open the door, he will come in with you and he will dine with you and you with him. That he will draw close to you because this is our God. So what is your final answer? Are you in? Are you committing to follow, to be washed by the blood of the lamb and cleansed and to commune with God? That's, that's just three of the things it means to be a follower, but those are biggies. That's what we want. That's what we're saying when we're like, I'm in, final answer. I'm cleansed by the blood of the lamb. I am committing to follow, not perfectly, but my intent is my heart is to follow and I wanna commune with the living God. And how good is he to commune with us? We are going to together celebrate a covenant meal together. I think fitting for today. So uh, if you've been asked to hand out the elements, I don't know if you notice this and if you read commentaries on this, this chapter is actually a model for the worship service. It's one of the first corporate worship services in the Bible. You have all the elements that we have now. You have a call to worship. What does God say? Come up and worship me. There's a call to worship like we do in the beginning. There's the reading of the book of the covenant. There is a affirmation of faith, which is what we do when we sing. When we sing truth, we're confirming and confessing our faith. There's a response time. The reason why we have singing after the sermon is so that you can sit in it and, and think and, and respond if God has spoken to you. And there's a covenant meal, which is what we're gonna celebrate together, the Lord's table. 
And we invite you if, you, if you are a follower of Jesus, this meal is for you. If you're not a follower of Jesus, this is, this is not a meal for you. This is a covenant meal for those who have put their faith in Christ for the forgiveness of sins, saying, I'm cleansed by the blood of the lamb. Right? So we invite you, whether you're a member or not, if you're a follower of Jesus, to partake. Uh, but spend some time. You guys and gals can come and hand out the elements. Just take a few moments to renew this covenant. If there's sin, confess it. He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you need help, cry out to him. This is a time for us to renew our commitment to obey, our commitment to be washed, our commitment to commune with the living God. Let me pray and I'll lead us together in these elements. Father, thank you for the privilege of remembering what you have done, remembering the good news of the gospel. May we be a people committed to follow. May we be a people washed and continually repentant and confessing our sin. May we be a people who commune with you regularly. Uh, Thank you that you've given us these reminders to celebrate, um, to commemorate, to commune with you. It's in Christ's name I pray.